This is an Equity Beats Media podcast. Here we go. Money conversations in early stages of relationships are difficult. I compromise all the time. We face harder choices. We got the house. No, my mother said, when you get older, I wish you'd hurry and get older so that you would settle down and marry a rich man. And I said, Mom, I am a rich man. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Meet, Pay, Love, a podcast where we talk all things money and relationships. My name's Carmel and as always, I'm joined by my sister Zoe. Hello Carmel. We'd like to start off by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land in which we are recording and listening to this podcast on today. We pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. So, Mello, what are we talking about today? Today we've got an interesting topic that I'm really looking forward to, and it is a bit different, but it's called unlearning. So what is it in your past that you now feel that you need to unlearn? Um, What were you taught as a youngster, I guess, growing up in your family? What were you taught by your culture and your traditions that are things that you're not so sure on and now you feel like you need to unlearn? Yeah, a lot of this has to do with, as a society, we are taught specific gender roles growing up. And I think now we are starting to challenge them a little bit more, which is great. And this is specifically for finances. And so a lot of that is that men should be doing all the finances and women should be doing all the other stuff like house labor and and raising kids and all that sort of stuff. So a study conducted by Ray's found that sons were 8% more likely to be reported being taught money management compared to daughters. So I guess in our family, Carmel, what do you think? We were We only have sisters. I feel like we were all taught money management skills equally. I think we were. And maybe the ones of us, probably me more so, that were more inquisitive about finances probably learnt more. But that's just because I asked a lot of questions in the area. But I think that on a whole, all three of us were treated really the same by our parents. Yeah, we had the same expectations placed on us and I think that was beneficial for us in the long run because I do have a bit of an understanding where some people might not. And so within this topic, we're going to talk about internalised misogyny. Now, we all know that misogyny is the hatred or contempt for women and girls. Internalised misogyny is when women have learned that through behaviours of society and the men around them and they internalise it and so they express it through ways of minimising the value of women and mistrusting women and gender bias within themselves. And so we all act with internalised misogyny at some times. Do you, have you ever thought about that? No, not really, to be honest. I think for me, I never really expected that, and we're talking about heterosexual relationships, I should say. For me, I didn't really ever think that I would meet someone, a man, and he would be, you know, the breadwinner in our relationship and he would carry the finances. I've always had, I just expected that I would be looking after myself. I I guess that's just how I am. I know that's different to internalized misogyny, but more to to the point of unlearnings. That's how I, with, with who's the breadwinner. That's how I kind of always thought of it. Yeah, but there is that sort of other aspect to it where, Some women do believe that the men should be the breadwinner and that men tend to earn more than women anyway. And so for that reason, they'll be the stay-at-home parent, which obviously is okay as well. But there are coming more and more stories of women being breadwinners. 
And so we do actually talk to someone today about being a female breadwinner and how that has broken down her relationship. According to a Hilda survey, 28% of couples without dependent children have a female breadwinner in the relationship, while just 15% of couples with dependent children have a female breadwinner. And so I think overall, 28%, if you don't have children, well, that's still really low percentage for women to be the breadwinner in a relationship. And then secondly, that decreases so much more to just 15% if you have kids. And I guess it makes sense because women do, I think biologically they have the child and then most likely need to care for the child in the early days. Um, But it's just frustrating that that then carries on throughout, um, I guess, that whole relationship where, where the man is much more likely to be the breadwinner. Yeah. Um, But today we're really talking about unlearnings and how if you've been brought up in a family where your mum is the primary caregiver and your dad is the um, breadwinner, then does that mean that you grow up thinking that that's your role in the relationship that you're going to have? And if you're a man, are you taught at, at a young age that you're expected to be the breadwinner? Well, that's the thing, and I think that's that's what society has taught us, is that because women have the children and they have to be there to feed the children and they also have to recover from birth, they're more likely to just stay at home for a little bit. They can't quite go back to work as quickly, and then that just continues on. And so they're viewed as the primary caregiver for a lot of the time when they don't always have to be. So let's kickstart this episode with an interview that we did with Brad Chilcott. He's a director at White Ribbon. And we started off talking to him about financial abuse. But what I found really interesting with our interview with Brad was how he shared his personal experience growing up and how it was expected in his family. And I'm sure this is really common that he was taught to be the income earner and the person in his family who would be the breadwinner when he eventually met someone and raised his own family. So we're going to cut to that now. Today, we're excited to say that we're joined by Brad Chilcott. He's an executive director at White Ribbon. Welcome, Brad. Thanks for having me. Why don't we start off by telling us a little bit about you and White Ribbon and what it is that you're doing? Yeah, for sure. Uh, White Ribbon Australia is a national movement to create an Australia where women and children are free and safe from all forms of men's violence and abuse, where uh, we exist to eliminate gendered violence. Uh, We work with workplaces and communities and individuals, um, really, I guess, to change the culture that creates the space for men's violence to thrive. The, um, I guess, disrespect of women, the gender inequality that is reflected in uh, a range of things, whether it's the the professional world or in relationships, and I guess attitudes and stereotypes uh, related to gender that create the opportunity for men to feel entitled to controlling or having power over women or just having their own Uh, ambitions and uh, desires privileged over women so we're here to fix all that so it's a you know a bit of a daunting task my background is that before i started as the executive director of white ribbon australia seven months ago i was the uh, founder and original ceo of welcome australia which is a a national organization 
cultivating a culture of welcome for people seeking asylum, refugees and other migrants to Australia. So I guess love uh, being involved in changing the culture and the attitudes of Australians towards I guess universally in Australia where um, everyone is equally able to belong and contribute and thrive and have the same opportunities as anyone else to do so. And we understand that as part of your role at White Ribbon, White Ribbon's part of a national campaign to criminalise coercive control. Can you tell us a bit about what is coercive control and how does financial abuse play in that? Yeah, sure. So we, um, as you mentioned, are part of a national campaign. Um, it's kind of being directed by the R Media Group at the moment or coordinated. They're in, they include heaps of magazines that you would have heard of, but in particular Marie Claire and uh, Women's Weekly, a New Idea, I think, as well. But it's us and women's safety service organisations and women's legal services and also the parents of Hannah Clark, who may remember was publicly and horrifically murdered with her three children by her former partner. That murder was basically the first act of physical violence in that relationship. It had been an extremely toxic relationship for, for many years. But coercive control is a term that describes, I guess, all the non-physical aspects of men's violence against women. It's all the controlling behaviours, the um, isolating someone from family and friends, the constant humiliation, the control over what you wear, where you go, who you're allowed to see and spend time with. One of the key differences, I guess, is that it is a pattern of abuse. And the reason that's important is um, firstly because many women say it is the most harmful aspect of um, their life uh, in an abusive relationship, but also because uh, at the moment criminal law is really based on an incident. You know, it's did this person hit you at this moment and can you prove that that um, violent assault happened? And financial control is a huge aspect to this. You know, it's important to say some people only experience financial abuse and not all those other forms of abuse that I mentioned, but financial abuse is a key part of, of coercive control. It's um, like people spending your money or limiting access to your bank accounts, you know, taking away your, your credit cards or changing your PIN or having decision-making power over uh, the entirety of the shared finances if, if you have them accessing uh, your, your bank accounts and not telling you that they've spent your money on things, signing legal documents in your name. Um, there's a range of things, but it, it could be summarised as you losing uh, your financial independence and the inability to make decisions about um, financial matters that relate to you and, that, and money that is rightfully yours. I think there are some people who might think, look, my boyfriend or partner or whoever is much better at dealing with money, they understand it. So I'm going to play to add the strengths in our relationship and hand over most of the financial control to my partner. Why is that a dangerous thing to do? Well, I think there's like warning signs that it's dangerous. Like I, I would say in my relationship with my partner, my wife, we don't equally uh, control in terms of, you know, physically press the buttons and, and pay the money on different bills and um, expenses. 
But the warning signs are when you can't have an open conversation about those things, when you don't have access to the bank records and when you ask a question about them that you are made to feel like you don't have a right to know the answer, um, that, you know, major financial decisions aren't made as an equal joint uh, conversation where you feel empowered to, that your opinion matters as much as the other person's. When you want to have access to the finances that are rightfully yours, that you are prevented from doing that, etc. So it's not that you shouldn't have a conversation with your partner and say you're good at you're better at budgeting than I am. It, it's that you should have oversight of that budget and be able to say, yes, you've done that well, and I don't really agree with this thing that you're doing over here. Can we have an open conversation about that? And definitely when it gets into the area of like, you know, you don't have access to see the bank records, uh, they won't let you look at what's going on on the credit cards. There's joint credit cards being opened in your name that you uh, don't have access to. You know, whenever it becomes this must be a secret and you don't get to know, that's the, the clearest warning sign that financial abuse is happening. And so you said White Ribbon is mostly focused around female sort of empowerment and looking after female and protecting them from abuse. Do you think financial abuse is more prevalent in females rather than males? Have you seen it in male cases or are there certain age groups where it's more um, obvious and it, ha- it occurs more often? Well, White Ribbon Australia, you know, thinks every form of violence is wrong and um, needs to be addressed and definitely you know part of our hope is that australia is free from all forms of of violence Um, but what we see if we look at the statistics in regards to family and domestic violence or relational violence is that it is vastly in the majority men using violence against women and children and also the drivers of that violence are gendered. It's a, it's around disrespect and um, gender stereotypes and the ingrained um, nature of patriarchy and um, you know the thousands of years of men being in charge and their their as I said earlier their preferences and desires being um, privileged over, over women. So it's not that other forms of violence don't exist or aren't important. It's that we need to address this as a particular. Uh, symptom of that disease of patriarchy, if that if that makes sense. Yes, of course, men can experience financial abuse, um, and um, people from um, transgender and other genders can experience financial abuse. But we have a particular focus on, you know, when I when I grew up, just as an example, I'm 42. It's my birthday today, in fact. So we're having a a very um, happy birthday conversation together. <laughs> happy birthday, um, Brad. No, thank you. <laughs> But, you know, when I grew up, it, it was taught to me that men were the head of the house, men make the financial decisions, men are the primary, you know, breadwinner. And, you know, so I'm a, I'm a you know, progressive, middle class, cisgender, white man, play footy, normal person in society, whatever normal is, but you, you get what I mean. I'm a mainstream person in society is what I what I guess I'm saying, but I still have unlearning to do because um, this was, you know, drilled into me from the time I was I was born. And and so this is the task of, of White Ribbon Australia, I think, is to try and help men to reflect on uh, what they grew up with, what was kind of in, ingrained in their assumptions about how family works, how relationships work, how society works, 
And that definitely plays out in finances. In some cultures, that patriarchal approach is even is even stronger and is reinforced by our religion and um, and tradition and as well. So definitely, there are many people experiencing all kinds of financial abuse. But I think um, if we can address this uh, this gendered nature of it, we can go a long way to seeing men and women entering into relationships and um, being able to have conversations as equals rather than uh, with, an, with an assumption that one person has a greater right to make decisions than the other. Relevantly to what you're saying, we just shared on our social media recently an article that I think it was in The Australian and the title was something to the effect that Australian parents are still putting more emphasis on their boys to have the financial control and decisions rather than their daughters. And I think it really sums up what we're trying to do as well, which is educate people and open up those conversations so that they're more accepted. Completely. Yeah, and I think this is this is the essence of it, right? That if you start a relationship and talking about money is awkward or frowned upon or, or not allowed, then that's a dangerous relationship and that needs to be addressed head on and if you can't start a relationship, um, whether you're in a same-sex relationship or a relationship between a man and a woman, then you need to be able to have open, equal conversations about money. And if that's not happening, that's a clear warning sign that you're in something that could be very dangerous. One thing we've found as we've started to talk about coercive control is that many people still say, I just thought this behavior was normal, that this is what relationships were like. I saw my parents behave this way, or this is my first ever relationship. And so I've just assumed that this is how men treat women, or this is how I'm supposed to be treated by a partner. And so this is actually a really important question in how we educate our young people growing up to understand what a healthy relationship looks like and what they can expect. And you could, you could wrap that all up in the idea that you are equals and you should be able to have equal decision-making power. You should have equal right to go and see your friends as your partner feels that they can. You should have equal right to choose what you wear as your partner is able to choose what they wear. You're able to equally engage in pursuing your career as your partner can, etc., etc. And the, the the moment you feel like one of you has a privileged opportunity to pursue your desires and ambitions um, and make decisions, um, then that's the that's a clear warning sign. But anytime you feel like you're being controlled or made to feel guilty for just the very basic decisions of life, then that's that is a very clear warning sign that something is wrong. Thanks so much, Brad, for coming on the show. It was really interesting to hear your thoughts and I'm so glad that you spoke so candidly and openly to us. I think that from what he said, it puts it in a really, I guess, logical way that you can see how from growing up in a family where you're expected to be the breadwinner to then how that influences how you treat money and then going to the point where maybe there is some financial abuse occurring. So one of the frustrating things, I suppose, and I noticed this in my own relationship, not that Pete's not very, very helpful around the house. He is seriously puts in a lot of effort around the house, but I just find that I've immediately just kind of gravitated towards doing most of the cooking, most of the shopping for food, 
like I've just taken on some aspects of the domestic chores, which seem kind of stereotypical. Um, so Zoe, hmm. according to the Hilda survey, women who are the primary earners in couples with children spend how many hours do you think on housework? In couples with children? Yeah. I feel like quite a lot. I feel like like about 20. Yeah, you're right. So 24.1 hours spent on housework. And if they're the primary earners, how much do you think they spend on childcare hours? Oh, God, it'd probably be about the same, wouldn't it? 20 hours. Yeah, so 19.3 hours on childcare. And then if a male in the relationship is the primary earner, how much do you think they would spend on housework hours per week? Oh, well, you hope it's similar, don't you? But it's probably a bit less. I'm going to say like 17. 15.3 hours. God, that's like 10 hours less than women. And they only spend 10.9 hours on childcare. So about half the time that women spend on childcare if they're the primary earners. Yeah. Well, I'm not surprised by that, but it's just frustrating. That is really frustrating. I'd say in my relationship, Ollie and I do a pretty even split, but we have gravitated to different different jobs. So as you said, I love to cook and I love to clean the kitchen, which is really weird, but that's my space. I love love to clean the kitchen. kitchen. It's my space. No, everyone else does it wrong. I like it my clean way. I like to put things where I know where they are. But he does the washing, which I hate doing. And so, like, it works really well for both of us that we we have gravitated to two different roles and then the rest of the cleaning we tend to share. See, I do the washing, most of it, but Pete does all the bins and all the floors. Oh, that's good. That's a pretty big job as well. And he does a lot of handyman stuff that he'll remind me of. Like, <laughs> I don't know, he has lots of tools. <laughs> <laughs> Ollie and I just kind of look at her problem and go, ah. I don't think it needs to be fixed. (laughs) Hi, someone. (laughs) So now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to hear from Harriet, a member of our community who's shared with us her personal story about being the breadwinner in her relationship. So my name is Harriet. I'm 30. I live in the western suburbs of Melbourne and I work at a big four. My last relationship was five years. We separated during the pandemic. I was a young professional and he worked for himself. Our incomes were quite different during our relationship and it was like that pretty much throughout the entire relationship. But I guess uh, he was my first really serious partner. So I had never worked full time before meeting him. And he had never worked for himself before meeting me. And that's when we kind of moved in together. So there were just like a lot of changes going on for both of us. But yeah, I don't think it always made him entirely comfortable that I earned more than he did. But yeah, I don't know if it's fair for me to say that that was like a huge pressure point for him or if there was just like a lot of other things going on. I don't know. I I don't think it helped. <laughs> when we were dating, when we first met, he was employed, like full-time employed and working for someone else. And I was a student. So yeah, he was earning a lot more than me, but pretty much since I started working full-time, I was earning more than him, even when he was employed. So I guess that is a kind of a 
sort of a funny thing as well. Like even though he had a few years of work experience, like pretty much straight, my first job after graduating, I was already earning more than him, which I guess, I don't know, like he was kind of proud of me for it. I guess he just had like a lot of conflicting feelings about it. But yeah, when I was earning and there were a number of extended periods during our relationship where I was earning more than him, a lot more, it just made him feel like garbage, like he wasn't contributing but like there were so many other things he could do like clean the dishes (laughs) cook like all these other things it didn't bother me at all that I earned more than him it didn't bother me at all like honestly would have been happy to earn more than him for the rest of the relationship it it was not a blip on my radar What bothered me was that like on top of doing the earning, I was also coming home and cleaning every dish, cooking every meal, vacuuming. Like women, this is the thing, even if women earn more, even if they work full time and their partner works part time, even if women like are doing majority of the parenting stuff, like we are also doing all of the chores. So like, I just think that that's garbage and I don't really want to be in a relationship with someone that doesn't do dishes. Like, I'm just not doing that again. I'm not f-ing doing dishes again. <laughs> like, I'm not. Even if he earns five times more than me, no. We can get a dishwasher. Like, <laughs> and I guess, like, this is the thing. You really do need to talk about this stuff. Even if you think your partner will get upset about it. Like, you just need to talk about it. Like, there was absolutely no discussion about, like, maybe we should pay bills proportionately or, like, maybe I should do this and you should do that. There was just like a lot of assumptions, which I think always lead to disappointments. My advice would be just talk about it. Like don't make assumptions. Don't impose your beliefs of fairness on your partner. Just try and understand things from their perspective. And that's both ways. Like don't assume just because you're earning a lot of money that – $20 isn't a lot of money to someone because it might be. And also don't assume that because you're not earning much that the other person's life is really easy and they're not stressed about money. Thank you so much, Harriet, for sharing what you had to say and being so open. I'm just blown away by everyone in our community who comes on the show and speaks so openly about things that are quite personal. I just feel for Harriet and her situation And I mean, it's just frustrating for me that it's not an uncommon story where women are taking on a lot more of the domestic chores um, just as a matter of habit, I guess. Well, yeah, that's the internalized misogyny. They think they have to. And they also get to the point where they're not comfortable asking for help because they think that that's their role in the family, regardless if they are the breadwinner or not. Their role in the family often is minimalized or not minimalized, but but just ends up being the carer of the house as well, even if it's a big child. I guess, like, if you've been brought up in a family where your dad just never did any housework, then you would obviously in your relationship be less inclined, I think, to do housework. Or And then, and then it's harder for maybe the female in the relationship who then will be kind of feeling like they're nagging you or having to explain how to do it. Maybe you've never been taught 
I guess it's like the opposite. If women are getting taught more how to do housework and they they know what to do, like I'm, you hear stories about people dating guys and then not knowing how to turn on a washing machine because they've just never had to do that before. So I think if there's anything to take away from this episode, it's really have those conversations with your partner early on about what are the expectations. Do you expect to be the primary caregiver? Do you expect to be the breadwinner? Um, do you feel comfortable with your partner being the breadwinner? Do you feel that you shouldn't be the breadwinner? I think having those conversations about what was, what was the situation in your family growing up and what does that mean that you want to mirror that in your relationship? Or does that mean that you want to get as far away from that as possible in your relationship? Um, but as always, one of our key messages is communication is key. And then I think secondly, it's about if you were brought up in an environment that had very strict gender roles and ideas around who should earn the money and who should take on those unpaid roles like caregiving and domestic chores, it's about having maybe some awareness around that and maybe taking really strong efforts to unlearn those behaviors and unlearn those expectations that you have for yourself or for your partner And that's really the key message. I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do this unless you are going into the territory of financial abuse when, you know, passwords are being hidden or you don't have control over your money. But, you know, those things aside, if you are in a respectful and happy relationship, I think it's really important to just be aware of what expectations you might have for yourself, expectations that you might have for your partner, and then talk about those so that, of course, you're on the same page. Yeah, I think the reoccurring theme in all of our podcasts is communication is key. (laughs) You need to be able to communicate with your partner about what you want because if you do want them to be the primary caregiver and they have the means, absolutely, that's all good. But you should have the opportunity to choose that as well. If you want to be working hard and being the primary um, income, that's good too. There's, There's The options are endless and I think as a society and as a couple, we just keep talking about it we can get to where we want to be thanks so much for listening to this episode of meet pay love we love your support if you're if you're enjoying our podcast please email us and give us some feedback at mpl at equitymates.com you can also find our instagram page which is meet pay love um rate review tell us what you think we love your feedback Check out um, one of the other shows and the Equity Mates family, the Comedian vs. Economist is doing really great things. And thanks so much again. So goodbye. Bye. Meet Pay Love is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional financial, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Meet Pay Love are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Meet Pay Love acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.